Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Uh, Sydney, we've spent the last couple episodes uh, prompted by the uh, Black Lives Matter protests and a uh, sort of rash of police violence, etc., talking about racial injustices within the medical system. I would, I would argue that it's not a recent rash of police violence as uh, much as a... Recent focus on? Is yes, that, recent is this? focus yes. on after a long history yeah, of fa- police brutality, especially against the black community. Um, and we, uh, now you've really made me look like a jerkwad, Sydney. I'm sorry I misspoke. No, but I'm, I'm going to keep I'm on helping, trucking because I'm helping I'm, you because I know what you meant. And much like the celebrities, I know you wouldn't want to come off as saying something other than that. Much like all the white American celebrities, I take responsibility. <laughs> For saying the wrong thing a second ago. Oof. But, oofa doofa. Oof. Oof. Uh, but we, and we are not done talking about that. Uh, but we are also in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, and so we are which, going. Which is, which to be all fair. Connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. Well, it's connected in that it has disproportionately affected black people in this country. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think, I think again, it's another example of how the system was never made. We say the system is broken. The system was never made to function for everyone. It was made to function for white people. And that includes the healthcare system, as we have discussed at great length, which is reflected in the fact that COVID-19 has disproportionately impacted black people. Um, so we will we will uh, return to talking about that this week. A little bit more of a focus on COVID. We wanted to do kind of a general check-in. Um, it's sort of left for for very understandable reasons left the sort of mainstream conversation or at least lost a bit of the limelight that it had pretty much completely absorbed and and it's and it's unfortunate in that when something is not the headline media focus i see a lot and i see this reflected on social media and i think that it's probably true beyond that there seems to be this kind of belief that perhaps it's not as big a deal and i think that it's important to remember that there can be multiple things that are all big deals at the same time and uh coronavirus seems to have because it is not the headline it's i think some people believe like well it must be uh going away then right like we it's gone gone it's gone fixed it we lost interest so (laughs) 
it's over. So that's it. That's the most. It's <laughs> our that American is, attitude. We and, lost interest in it. So and that is gone. not the case. But I will say, interestingly, and I don't know if this is uh, there. There has been a bit of an uptick talking about, and this kind of broke through uh, this week. And I and I asked you about it because I needed some help sort of decoding it. That there was a big. Uh, Lancet study on uh, hydroxychloroquine, which we discussed in a previous episode. There's a big Lancet study that was retracted, and I saw several, um, I would say, bad actors on Twitter saying that this is proof that the media just glommed onto this and that the establishment was using this to try to target Trump um, by by you know with by fixing the results of things like this. So I wanted to get your hot take. No, yeah, I think I think this I'm glad you brought this to my attention because once I started reading into it, one, it became pretty clear to me what really happened and why it is it is unfortunate in that if you are trying to expedite the kind of the not the scientific method, but the process by which we do a study, design a study, do a study, like publish Put the data together, not publish it yet, get it reviewed and, you know, accepted as something that is a reasonable study and the outcome looks appropriate based on the method and all that and then get it published. That process has been short circuited somewhat by necessity. Right. We need data. We need it. Nobody's trying to. For the most part, people aren't trying to mislead anyone. They're just trying to get answers as fast as possible to save lives. There's a need to move fast. But whenever there is that need, and so some of the safeguards against bad methods and bad science are easier to cross, you you open the door for perhaps intentional uh, malfeasance or... Unintentional. I don't know. It's a it's a strange story. I have to say, uh, as I dug into it, I found it a little shocking. Uh, the truth behind this article and why it was retracted, and exactly what is going on here. It was a lot more in depth than I thought. Um, so I'm on the edge of my seat. Let's go. So there were actually two studies that were retracted. The one that got the most press was the Lancet study. And by the way, the Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, which are the two journals that had to retract COVID-related studies uh, are respected medical journals. They're, I, they're among the good ones. Yes. And so... And which should be noted, though, as long as we're on the topic, though, the Lancet is a much cooler name for a publication than the New England Journal of Medicine. <laughs> the Lancet is a cool name for a publication. It's a cool name for a publication. But they're both, they're both generally accepted to be respectable publications that go through appropriate peer review processes i mean because there are a lot of journals and know this if you don't already if you are somebody who looks to journals for truth do some digging into if you find a journal where you're like oh, i've never heard of this one before do some digging into the journal before you just accept like what their process is how they get how they review things where their funding comes from all these things matter Anyway, but these are these are good ones. These are these are generally accepted to be good ones. So the first study from the Lancet got the most press because it involved hydroxychloroquine, which has unfortunately become a political medication, which I didn't know there would be one, but there well you should have guessed. That's not true. You should have guessed. That's not true. Our history of HIV tells us that a lot of medicine is political. Um, but hydroxychloroquine 
uh, was looked at in a in a huge study in the Lancet uh, to see if, as Trump has suggested, it is going to be this miraculous cure for COVID. And here's I think what you the, meant to say Trump and some of our top scientific minds, right, Sydney? Well, no, just no. I think I think that. Among actual scientific minds, the answer, the, the the feelings on hydroxychloroquine has always been maybe it works or it doesn't work. I don't think there's been anybody who has been touting it as a miraculous cure that I would call a scientific mind. Um, anyway, so here's the study. Hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine with or without a macrolide for treatment of COVID-19, a multinational registry analysis. That is the name. Scientific studies never have sexy names, I would say. Very rarely. Sometimes they'll come up with like an acronym. They'll name it in a way that they have like Jupiter is the acronym or something. That Now that's, <laughs> now that's cool. Now that, Sydney, is they, cool. They didn't do that with this study. Oh, um, that's less cool because, man, like, come in, Jupiter. Man, that's cool. This study not a party. <laughs> this study looked at the e- efficacy of hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, um, with or without. Because you may have remember, it was the question was: Should you treat somebody with it, and should you pair it with azithromycin, the Z pack, the antibiotic? That's a macrolide. That's what they're talking about. So, alone or with azithromycin, um, in ninety six thousand thirty two patients in six hundred seventy one hospitals from six continents. It seems good. It's huge, right? And in order to do that, like, as you may imagine, we're in the midst of a pandemic. It's not like they went from hospital to hospital and set up a study. There was a bunch of different people working at different hospitals that were doing, like, smaller, like, well, right? sort of. This is really observational. So if you're going to do a study like this, all you need is a bunch of data. You don't really even need other people involved. You just need to get a bunch of data. So they took, they looked for, they, they took a database that compiled diagnosis codes, treatment, you know, treatment histories, outcome measures, um, whether it be death or, you know, ventilator use, whatever. They took all that data from all of these hospitals, put it into a big giant database that could be searched and analyzed for the use of researchers. Now, you may imagine this database could have tons of different info, right? Mm -hmm. And like you can see where something like that would be used in medicine. We have this giant database that just has a whole bunch of information about patients, about what they what diagnoses they have. I mean, there's value in a big database like that. Mm -hmm. So what they did is they took a big database like that and they just looked for certain things and analyzed what they found. So you don't really have to connect to any one of those 671 hospitals to do that. They're feeding the data into their computers because that's what you do now. You put all of your records, you know, into the EHR, the electronic health record, and all of that goes into the database, and the database is being analyzed by these researchers. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Because that is how this data was collected. I think it's Got important it. to know that it wasn't, it wasn't like a, an, a physician in some hospital in one of these 671 hospitals saying, like, let me collect this data to send to our study. It wasn't like that. Okay. So they looked for how many patients had COVID in the facility, how many got these meds, how many didn't, and how did they do, how many died, whatever. After analyzing all this data, they came to the conclusion that patients treated with hydroxychloroquine or hydroxychloroquine plus azithromycin did no better 
than the patients who weren't treated with it. And in fact, they found a higher rate of life-threatening fatal arrhythmias. Seems bad. Like heart, for, abnormal heart rhythms. Seems bad for hydroxychloroquine. So they published this study in The Lancet, uh, and the whole world gasped. And all of the different, there were some big actual trials going on with hydroxychloroquine across the world where they were actually, instead of just looking at data, they were actually like making data, giving these patients hydroxychloroquine, not giving these patients hydroxychloroquine and watching what happened, which is a better, that's a more robust study to do than to just observe data. Um, So a lot of these studies got shut down as a result of this. Because if you think, I mean, you can't do that, right? Like, that's unethical. If you have evidence that you're studying a drug that's going to kill people, you can't give people the drug. Right. So. So those studies shut down. So those studies shut down. And a lot of people thought, okay, we're past this whole hydroxychloroquine nonsense. Uh, Fast forward to, I think it was just like a week or so later. It was a pretty short period of time. Where as scientists started reading this, immediately people started to notice problems with the study, with the data, with uh, the whole method of it. <clears throat> and they started to call out individual problems. And then and then eventually 200 scientists would come together to write a letter to the Lancet to say, this is, there is, problem. This is a problem. There is a problem with this study, and you are better than this, and you need to look into this. So one of the things they immediately identified is that the numbers for uh, Australia didn't make sense. Like, that, they knew what the Australian numbers were, and the numbers in this study were way higher. Mm. And so immediately they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. There is n- that's not possible that the data is accurate because of even just this one piece. We know we in Australia know this is wrong. And then they looked into it and went, oops, sorry. One of the hospitals was marked as being in Australia, but wasn't actually in Australia. It was somewhere else. So our bad. That's the, that's the only problem. So initially they put out that as like, OK, uh, yes, found it. Problem addressed. Got it. But then they were like, well, no, 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 no. There's more. There's some more things here. Um, how did you get this much data? Because it, it does seem remarkable, right? Mm-hmm. Because this data was collected between the period of December and April, as the world was just figuring out throughout various countries and various places where these hospitals are, when we were just figuring out what was going on, how did we collect so much data? How did we get it so exact? How could we come to these conclusions it, it, the number is mind-boggling, really. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's it's just, it's so many patients. It's so much information. People really started to question, like, I don't know. I don't think these methods make sense. And then some of the hospitals, some of those 671 hospitals who were said to have collaborated with this study, started to say, hey, we didn't, uh, we don't know who these people are. We don't know anything about this. What do you mean? So these 671 hospitals should at least know that their data is being fed into this database. They don't know anything about it. Mm. So all of a sudden, all these places that supposedly had relationships with these authors, with these, with this study, with this database, were going, we, we, I don't know how they would get our data. Like we didn't, we didn't agree to sign over your data to anybody. 
Uh, specifically, uh, the hospital in Glasgow was like, nah, the NHS is not doing this. We're not part of this. I don't know what they're talking about. And we're named as being part of this and we're not. Hmm. So then it started to call into question the whole thing. So the authors of the study issued a statement that said, look, we got all this data from this database and we thought the database was accurate. But now we're seeing that maybe it's not. So we're going to do an independent review. We're going to hire people to come in and review this database to see if the database is true. Because what they're saying is what the stuff we did with the data, we know is solid. But the data that we got initially. Yes, is the raw data solid. So they they asked for this review and then they came out after that and said, you know what, actually they won't let us do it. They're telling us that because of various privacy and access and okay. all this different stuff, they're not letting us put independent reviewers on this database. And so now we can't verify the integrity of the data. So the authors themselves requested that the Lancet retract the study. So I feel like we're getting closer to the to the villain of the piece, Sydney. And then following this, there was the study in the New England Journal of Medicine, Cardiovascular Disease, Drug Therapy, and Mortality in COVID-19, which was specifically looking at the danger of taking a class of blood pressure medications, ACE inhibitors, mm -hmm. while you have COVID, because this has been a question. Is it more dangerous to take this if you have the disease? And it, it said that it was okay. This was also based on data using that same database. Mm -hmm. And so it was it was retracted by NEJM because they were like, OK, well, if the database is in question, then the study is in question. So let's retract that, too. All right. And then we find the owner of the database. We pull off the mask. <laughs> it's Mr. Barnes, the owner of the old amusement park. I knew it. Why did you set this database, Mr. Barnes? Why are you trying to fool all of us? You, you wouldn't have got away with it, too, if it wasn't for Sidney McElroy. Uh, that Practice is not wide open. That is not who owns the database. It's not Mr. Barnes. Okay, let me pull the mask off. Again. You're right. It's Tony Shaloub. I, I never <laughs> thought Monk himself. Why are you? Why are you implicating poor Tony Shaloub in this? I'm pulling the mask off again. You're right. It wasn't Tony Shaloub. Simon Cowell. That's a little treat for everybody that saw the Scoob movie, which Simon Cowell was inexplicably <laughs> featured. It it was. I do think you'll like the name. Okay. The name of the database is Surgisphere. Activate Surgisphere. And Sentient data platform. This seems to be the weak link in this chain. And I'm going to tell you doesn't more. doesn't sound like it. I'm gonna, Sounds cool as heck. <laughs> I'm going to tell you more about the history of Surgisphere and how we got to this. But before I do that, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that... no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to... Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette. The palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. 
You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, I believe you were about to besmirch the good name <laughs> of my new robot friend, Surgisphere. You can see him hovering behind me. Uh, using his anti-grav lifters. Uh, and uh, I just, whatever you have to say to me, you can say to Surgisphere, my new best friend, who is also a robot. Well, if you want to find out more about Surgisphere, I'll tell you. I'll it's ask not, him. Well, if I want to know, Surgisphere, listen, if I want to know more about Surgisphere, I'll ask him. Hey, Justin. Yeah. Do me a favor. Yeah. While I'm, while I'm starting to talk, pull up a, an open tab there and Google Surgisphere and try to go to their website. Okay. Um. The database is called Surgisphere, and I think the first thing you should know about it, yeah, just go to the Surgisphere website right there. Oh, uh -oh. no. This site is suspended. Uh-oh. Everybody's coming from my guy Surgisphere. I think it's important. Hi, Surgisphere. <laughs> They're robot police are after you. Surgisphere was initially started back in 2008. Uh, by a Dr. Sapan Desai, who, by the way, is one of the authors of this study. I think it's worth noting. Um, okay. One of the authors of the study that was retracted. So wait, <laughs> wait so a minute. He, no, he, wait, stop. Hold on. He's a co-author on the study. So this guy, I, I'm, I may look silly after you give me more info, but the situation, as I understand it, was everybody who authored this study is like, we need to, we need to do an independent review of this. And this guy was like, yeah, we do. Who made this? Hey, 
hey, whoever made this data, get out of here. We need to do an independent review of it. And then he, he puts on a mustache and calls it back like, no, you cannot. He was actually the only one who did not call for its retraction. Weird. I should have I should have noted that. Weird. He was he was the one who did not. Like he was a part of the original, like, mm, is there a concern? And then it sounds like he I, I feel bad for the other authors because they're so far I have no reason to believe that they were intentionally misleading anybody I, I really don't and i can't i'm not going to sit here and you know judge jury and whatever the expression is i don't know if this guy i mean it sounds bad for him but i don't i am not uh, an investigative journalist i am i have read the work of journalists who figured all this out um and i am not uh i don't i don't know what he knew and how he got his data and what his methods were i don't know i'm just telling you the facts this is this is where we are right now. So I'm not going to sit here and accuse anybody of anything because I, I don't know exactly who knew what when. Okay. Uh, so Dr. Desai is a vascular surgeon. He started the company back in 2008. And initially he was selling medical textbooks for, okay. to students, to medical students. Uh, he started this while he was in residency, by the way. So, like this guy's wow, industrious. This guy's got tons of energy. He's he's very busy. He has uh he he has an MD, he has a PhD in anatomy and cell biology. There's been some questions about other degrees he may or may not hold. Uh, there was some evidence that a Wikipedia page was edited back in the past, okay. like to add things that were not verifiable. I don't know. Uh, he tried. He he did have his own medical journal briefly at one point. Not anymore. He got an MBA in 2012. So uh, wow. very, very active, very, very busy. Um, in 2019, Surgisphere transitioned from textbooks to medical data. To And, and this, I, this idea is not strange, right? Like th this is not the only company that would do this. No, it's sexier. I mean, textbooks are boring. When you get into medical data, that's the hot spot right there. Well, it's, no, but I mean, like, from a, okay, you know that marketing companies want your data, right? They want all the stuff about, that's why Facebook keeps surfacing me ads for the same things over and over again, because... I want everybody to have my data. I'm really loose with it in the hopes that eventually it will be useless. So if everybody has my data, no one will want it anymore. That's right. my theory at least. So, so most, a lot of companies want your data so they can sell you stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, in medicine, your data is useful for us to research, right? Mm -hmm. Like that you can see where this connects. If, if we're all feeding these diagnoses and these treatments and these outcomes into computers, we can start to figure out what's going on with people. So like a big database that collects medical information is not strange. That's a good idea, and it could be very profitable, mm -hmm. as you may imagine. Uh, so he transitioned his company to do this back in 2019. I I don't know what else it has been involved in specifically, Surgisphere as an entity, mm -hmm. but obviously the database, whatever it is, has been used in these two giant studies, one of which Desai is a co-author. So now that nobody could verify any of the data and we started to wonder what the heck is up with Surgisphere and it's it's called this other study into question, people have started digging into Dr. Desai himself to try to figure out like, is this intentional? Is it just made up? Does he have data? What What is this thing? Like, what are we dealing with? You mm -hmm. know, I mean, you can't, there's no way he just made all these numbers up whole cloth. So like, where is all this coming from? I wouldn't say there's no way. 
I mean, we've seen a lot worse on this show. That's true. It would be pretty wild. I don't want to impugn his character, but I'm just saying it would not be outside the scope of reality. I really don't know. I really, I, I, I will. I am following the lead of a new new friend of the show. I love when I find a new friend of the show. Remember when we found Doctor Lasagna? Yeah, and he was a, he became a new friend of the show. Doctor Elizabeth Bick is our new friend of the show. She is a microbiologist who specializes in scientific integrity. She's like a detective, a science detective who looks at like research bones. Basically like Bones. No, I don't think that's what Bones did. A science detective. Yeah, sure. Well, but no, this is like a detective to look for bad science. Oh, not. So you're saying not a detective with science powers, but a detective who specializes in bad science. Well, she also has science powers. Oh, so she's even better than Bones. Okay, great. Sure, Sydney, <laughs> whatever. I've never seen Bones, but I'm going to say she's better than Bones. You're not Okay, just talk a bunch of nonsense on our podcast, Sydney. That's fine. We're supposed to be reason-based and skeptical, but you go ahead and talk a bunch of nonsense about how this anybody's better than Bones. Okay, that's fine. So, You know how many seasons Bones rant? I'm, I can't start. Dr. Beck looked into a research paper that was co-authored by Desai back in 2005, which was actually the basis of his PhD. And in the paper, which uh, was published in the Journal of Neurophysiology, uh, she found some problems. She found all the way back in 2005, she looked at this research and went, okay, one of the things she specializes in, you're going to think this is cool. She can analyze scientific images and look for manipulation Mm. to see if this is really an image of like, because we're talking about pictures of cells and things, right? We're like the average lay person would look at it and go, I don't know. Is like, that what like that's people on to Reddit like? try to spot photoshops, right? Except yes, except she is an expert in this area. So are they, they're on Reddit. <laughs> Why would they be weighing in if they were experts? <laughs> so she, she started looking and she found that there were these tissue sections. They were looking at the inner ear of different rodents and she could find like where he had, well, someone, I, I don't know who, has duplicated the same part of an image into multiple other places within the image to play with the data. And she called the whole thing into question because of these images that that she says are fraudulent. Um, so like there was they were copy and pasted. Mm. Mm. Okay. And she's she is the expert on this. She has done a ton of this. And this has triggered a ton of uh, examination into basically every paper he's ever been involved with. So there, so now there is this big search into all the research that he's done in the past to see, like, uh, is, it, is it other stuff maybe manipulated or misleading or wrong? We don't know. Um, and, and it's also found stuff like digging into his past. I thought this was interesting for our audience. At one point, there's a video of him where he was starting a crowdfunding campaign for a product that was a wearable neural induction device. Oh, man. Whatever. Sign me up. That sounds awesome. That could increase brain function and creativity. It's like a limitless pill, except you'd wear it. Sharks, <laughs> I'm here to pitch you on my limitless pill, except you wear it. This is my assistant, Surgisphere, the hovering <laughs> anti-grav bot. I don't think it ever happened, but anyway. Yeah, so, you know it didn't happen because you can look at me and not see one on me, so you know it didn't I, happen. I will tell you that typically, I mean, you don't see retractions of giant landmark studies in well-respected medical journals often, but when you do see retractions, 
it's not usually this dramatic. <laughs> it's usually just like, oh, we found a conflict of interest or, ooh, you know what? Your methodology turned out to be flawed in this very specific way that wouldn't be obvious to everyone. And it, it is not usually this. <laughs> um, on the bright side, I think that uh, learning about uh, Dr. Bick has been great because, I, again, I think our listeners would enjoy knowing uh what she does not only again a microbiologist works on the hu human microbiome she was involved in like cholera vaccine research for a while um before she kind of devoted herself to scientific integrity preserving it and fighting like manipulation of scientific research for other ends she actually took 2019 off of paid work to just pursue this wow. why does this happen where does this happen? What are the causes of this kind of fake stuff? She found, like, apparently, uh, specifically in China, medical students are, um, they have to publish research before they can become doctors. <clears throat> That's incredibly demanding. I will say that as a medical student here, if I had had to publish before I could become an MD, that would have been very, very difficult. Uh, and so as a result, there is, like, there was, she found this paper mill where people were just churning out these studies, true, untrue, duplicated, whatever, just so people could publish something and move on with their lives. Ooh. Um, and anyway, like she's get, awesome. Kind of like getting should... the nerd to do your homework, huh? <laughs> yes, except this is scientific data that adds to our body of knowledge, and if it's fake, then it's bad, and it so takes us in the wrong direction. You're saying that they were all nerds. Everybody involved was a nerd. Got it. Okay, I understand the so, distinction. So where does this leave us with, by the way, you should follow her on Twitter. Uh, at microbiome, B-I-O-M, digest. I know. The perfect handle for that. <laughs> I love her now. She's thank, the coolest thing Thank detective. her for her radical work. You are my Sherlock. Uh, anyway, so where are we with hydroxychloroquine? Also ask her to be Sydney's friend, if you would, if you would mind. And please, then we'll please get, be we'll make my friend. friend. I'm, I'm fan. I'm a fan. Uh, so anyway... There was another study, which was not as fraud as this one, did have some flaws, but it looked at uh, using hydroxychloroquine for what we would call post-exposure prophylaxis, meaning uh, I have been hanging out with you and I found out that you were just diagnosed with COVID. I could take this right away to try to prevent me from getting COVID. Okay. Um, that's post-exposure. As opposed to pre-exposure, which would be like, I take it every day before I go to work because I know I'm going to be exposed to it. That's pre-exposure. Kind of like the morning after pill. That's a that's a way to look at it. Okay. Yeah. I know that that's not a virus. No. But it's a, it's a spermies, but you get the idea. It's a good metaphor. You're, you're nodding emphatically. There are better, no, there are better metaphors, but we'll just. You're giving me two <laughs> thumbs up, but nodding emphatically. So I'm assuming anyway, it's a great metaphor. Post-exposure prophylaxis. Uh, and it did not see any effect. Um, but it was, again, not a perfect study. Obviously, bigger trials still need to be done. And we still need to look at a lot of people are still trying to claim that it's great for pre-exposure prophylaxis, meaning that as a physician, when I start working in the hospital again next week, if I take it every day before I go to work, I will prevent, you know, getting COVID that way. Mm -hmm. And I have currently we have no evidence to say this is true. We have no evidence to say that it works as a cure, as a treatment as post-exposure prophylaxis as pre-exposure prophylaxis we don't have any evidence to say any of that um we don't have definitive proof that it doesn't work i would say but, but you can't it's it's much harder to prove a 
proven negative. Right? Yes, and we and I would say that the body of of small studies, the body of research that says it doesn't, is growing bigger and bigger every day. Um, but I don't know. These big trials that had to be stopped have been restarted, so we'll see. A proper proper research takes time, yeah. and I mean we'll we'll see. But um, I would say that one of the loudest voices yelling about this surgosphere stuff was a, a Dr. Raul DJ Raul who did a study on hydroxychloroquine early on with like 24 people in it that showed amazing results supposedly and it's been highly criticized his methodology has been all called into question also by Dr. Beck so I there were problems on both sides of this the mm-hmm. surgosphere data right now we cannot verify its integrity whatsoever but his study was also flawed so I mean this is why this is why it shouldn't be political. This is why a medicine should either work or not work, and we can find it out through objective data, not because somebody stands at a podium and says it does or not. Fair enough. Uh, one other thing I wanted to remark on, other than all this confusion about hydroxychloroquine, uh, is the World Health Organization released a statement that was widely covered by the media um, that asymptomatic spread of COVID was not happening. Yes, or was very as extremely rare. Extremely rare. So Something. our our initial big worry was that it seemed to be that you could get this, not have any symptoms, but go out into the world and spread it to people. Silent spreaders. Yes, and that made it very dangerous because then you're not going to stay at home. You're not going to, you right. know, right. Uh, the and now they're saying, oh nope, not a problem. Okay. I, I don't think that they were, because there were a lot of people saying, look, the World Health Organization is trying to mislead everybody, where they don't know what they're doing. I don't think that's true. I just think maybe they're not great science communicators all the time. I think that's what we're dealing with. A lot of you know, our... they should get the best science communicator <laughs> on the planet, who I happen to be married to, uh, Dr. Sidney McElroy, just hire, the, just hire the, the, the number one gun, as I call her. Well, thank Sid, you. The Sidster. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if the World Health, Health Organization is looking for communication help, I'm, well, I don't have a lot of free time, but I have some hours here. If you now. don't do it, I'm going to get Surgisphere <laughs> to do it. And he communicates with two things, binary code and tasers, okay? You don't want Surgisphere on this. And questionable data. And questionable data. Uh, and unquestioning judgment. He's just pure judgment and has bad data. <laughs> He sucks. I'm, I'm actually it's sitting. I'm getting pretty story. scared of Surgeon's Fair. I know that we've become close in the past 25 minutes. I'm getting a little freaked out about our burgeoning friendship. So anyway, um, <laughs> the here's the truth, Justin. If you had, if you have cr- contracted coronavirus, okay, you can just throw that out there. No, I know you haven't, but okay. we, this is the best way to to explain this. There is a chance that you will be asymptomatic, right? Like yes. right now, you would be positive if I tested you. But if I said, do you have symptoms? You'd say, no. Now, there's also a time period where I would test you and you would be positive. But if I asked you if you had symptoms, you would say no. And then a day later, you would get symptoms. Right. That's that pre-symptomatic. Data, that data point has already been established. Exactly. And that's right now we're not following enough people longitudinally and saying like, hey, do you have symptoms? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you again tomorrow. <laughs> hey, do you have symptoms? To know who's asymptomatic, meaning they'll never have symptoms, and who's pre-symptomatic, meaning they just don't have them yet. And the other 
people that haven't been uh, sussed out in all this data are people who have very mild symptoms or kind of atypical symptoms who might not think to mention it. Like, you know, we, we've heard a lot of people have some GI problems with this as opposed to the traditional like cough, shortness of breath. Right. So we say, do you have any symptoms? And you say no, because you don't think to mention that you had diarrhea. So the, I, I, they're not dividing out asymptomatic, pre-symptomatic, and mildly symptomatic people with that statement um, because pre-symptomatic people, we have no reason to think they're not contagious. Yeah. They almost certainly are. I would say that the the very small percentage of people who actually have no single, like, well, I don't want to say very small percentage. However many people have absolutely no symptoms whatsoever the entire time that they have coronavirus, what they're trying to say is those people do not seem to be particularly big threats in terms of transmitting the virus. But we don't know how many of those people are actually pre-symptomatic <laughs> and are going to get symptoms at some point. Right. That is what the World Health Organization was trying to say. So it doesn't change any of the recommendations. You still need to wear a mask if you're going out in public. You still need to avoid large groups. You still need to, if you're sick, stay home, of course. But if you're at risk, you need to stay out of public as much as you can. Mm -hmm. um, all of those things remain true. That statement doesn't change anything. And I think that it was just... It was factually correct, but it was contextually misleading. And not, and again, I'm not saying intentionally. I just think that you have to really think through these things, especially when there's so much misinformation. There's so many people with agendas and there's so many people who are look, so quick to look for conspiracy. You really have to be careful mm -hmm. um, how you word these things. So that that is the truth underneath all that. Um, in terms of current numbers... Uh, I think the latest data is that 21 states actually have increasing numbers of COVID right now. Um, there was some thought or there was some reports that it was related to the protests. Uh, that timeline does not work out right now. Um, these probably are related to a couple things. One, the reopenings in many of these states Two, Memorial Day related celebrations. There were a lot of Memorial Day type um, gatherings mm -hmm. that, that these are probably related to. Um, in addition, there's been increased testing in some of these states. And so that's added to it too. They're just finding more of these patients. Uh, there've also been several like isolated large outbreaks in some of these states. Like in our own state, there was an isolated outbreak within one of our, uh, jails. Yeah. And so it made the numbers spike, but it was isolated to that population. Um, and you know, we could, we can trace that in a way that you couldn't trace a widespread outbreak necessarily. Well, I know we don't have, would you think it's fair to say do. though, that, and, and I'm, I, this is, this may be asking you to do much, too much speculation, but would you fair to think it's fair to say though, that we have not seen the explosive growth that I think a lot of people expected when some of these states started opening back up? I think that's true. I think what we kind of thought would happen is that a predictable two weeks after things opened up, we would see our hospitals overwhelmed again. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't quite like that. It, one, I would say it's taken a little longer. And two, it hasn't been that dramatic. But I would caution that that doesn't mean it's not going to get worse. Um, in all these states where the numbers are going up, the numbers are going up. Uh, you know, I mean, something needs to be done to address that. Right. Um, 
and I know Arizona has been has had concerns that their hospital system could get overwhelmed with mm-hmm. this. There have been concerns within their hospital systems. So, uh, you know, we're not we're not out of the woods by any stretch. And the more I think people aren't thinking about it and they're getting lax and complacent and because it's not top of the top of the fold anymore, I think that um, that puts us even more at risk. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that there is no risk to protesting. If you are out in the streets protesting, um, of course, there is risk there. And as I've said before, I'm not saying that that we shouldn't be doing it, but there is a risk to it. Wear a mask as much as possible. Wash your hands as much as possible. If you are sick, I would encourage you to stay home um, for the safety of others. You know, if, if you're if you are ill, you, you don't want to go out and spread that to other people um, and take care of yourself. You want to get better. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, there may be more cases as a result of protests. I don't I mean. People are out in gatherings, and so I, I would be lying if I said, well, I don't think that... I think just because a cause is just doesn't mean that people in groups can't accidentally spread a virus. So I, I would continue to be cautious. I would please please wear a mask. Um, there's a lot of good data. The more, the more we get into this, the more we find that if you wear a mask and I wear a mask, we're protecting each other. Um, you wearing a mask protects me from you. Me wearing a mask protects you from me. And so if we're all wearing masks, we can greatly reduce how we spread this virus when we do go out in public. And I would continue to encourage you to th- you know, do things thoughtfully. There are great lists out there from epidemiologists and virologists talking about how to safely engage in different activities this summer. NPR put out a report um, from camping to dining out. Here's how experts rate the risks of 14 summer activities. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at what could you do if if you need to do some stuff this summer? What could you do that's lower risk? Um, and then take your own health into account. You know, it's gonna it. There is no safe activity other than staying home right now. Mm-hmm. But everybody's not going to stay home, so do things thoughtfully, purposefully, and wear wear a mask. Well, I mean that's disappointing for me. I make I try to make it a point every July of uh, going to Kings Island and licking every surface in the park. <laughs> so that is off the table for me this year. I yeah, don't, I don't I would not. Going. Good please. for my tongue, I guess. It's always a lot of abrasion. I mean, they have the World Health Organization has said that the um, <laughs> the risk of surface spreading is lower than originally thought. Okay. So you're thinking I could like lick the beast, but <laughs> I'm just glad I got to lick the vortex one more time before they took it down. No, I th- <laughs> please don't lick any surfaces. Hmm. That's a new one I've never said on this show before. Not on this show, but to our children yesterday. Constantly. Actually, constantly, constantly. Every moment of every day. We talk about not licking things, but uh, please be safe. Please be thoughtful. Please, not just for yourselves, but for others. For me. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Um, thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thank you so much to you for listening. We really uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, that is going to do it for this week. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.